and so love. Rescue me. Rescue us. Father, in other words, we ask that you would help us to preach your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Dead sinners, say your prayers, half-breeds. Just surprised by hatred. That's uh, Navin in, of course, the great Oscar-winning, critically acclaimed movie, The Jerk. And uh, he's just ventured out into the big world, raised in a very loving family, and now he's coming to terms with the fact that, that people hate him. Surprised that people would hate him. He thinks the cans are defective and then uh, has to wrestle with the fact that maybe he's defective. Well, I was raised in a very loving home with a father that uh, really loved me. And, and I just remember being so surprised to find out that there were people that, well, that hated me. 1 John 3.13, John writes, Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. In our text for this morning, Jesus says, Because you're not of the world, and I chose you out of the world, the world hates you. In John 7, Jesus told his brothers, the world cannot hate you because you're of the world. But if you're not of the world, the, the world will, will hate you. And so I, I guess it's like a, a bummer if you're not hated by the world. And so this week I, I thought, well, dang, where have I been hated. On, on what occasions have, have I been hated? There haven't been many, but I did manage to think of, of four. The first occasion explains why I hate basketball. Why I revert back to an insecure and wounded seventh grade boy every time Francis Forgione is so deeply insensitive to go on and on about her great skills and her love for basketball. 36 years ago, 36 years ago, I loved shooting hoops with my friend David, who lived across the street. I wasn't that good at shooting hoops, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter. I just loved shooting hoops with David. But I didn't love it. That's cool. This particular day, 36 years ago, we played basketball in PE. We played in the gymnasium in the basement of Grant Junior High, the gym that looked exactly the same at both ends of the court. 
Normally, no one would pass the ball to me. However, for some reason, this day, someone did pass the ball to me. And for some reason, I didn't immediately pass it away, which was my practice. Because for some reason, as if by magic, a lane just opened up. Uh, nothing, no one between me and the basket. And so I seized my opportunity for glory. I dribbled down the court. I shot a layup, and it went in. I think it was the very first basket that I ever scored in a real game. It was beautiful. And I turned around ready to receive adulation and congratulation from my teammates, and all I received was hate. I mean, absolute hatred. I thought the name of the game was shooting baskets. And I shot a basket. But apparently you have to shoot them at a particular end of the court. And I chose the wrong end. Scored for the wrong team. So it turns out that the name of the game is not shooting baskets. The name of the game is shooting more baskets than your opponent. The name of the game is winning. Well, that day I decided to hate basketball. And yet, I did learn the name of the game. In school, I learned that it isn't really about learning. It's about learning more than somebody else. I learned that you didn't really win unless somebody else lost. I learned that it's really not about singing, jumping, and running. It's about singing louder and jumping higher and running faster than somebody else. Have you ever stuck around here at the end of the second service? Because this is what usually happens. All the adults leave, and Wesley Sullivan, Finley Bullis, and Elliot Sullivan, they just start running and jumping, yelling. I mean, they just start running as fast as they can all around the church, apparently for no reason. Four, three, and two. That's, that's their age. Apparently, for no reason, they just start running, jumping, and yelling all, all around the church. And they're not racing each other. Apparently, they just enjoy running, jumping, and yelling for the sheer joy of running, jumping, and yelling together in the sanctuary before God. Imagine that. Well, anyway, my point is that Jesus says, don't be surprised when the world hates you. What do you do when you discover that you're hated? Well, number one, you can agree with the hatred and begin to hate yourself. Never run, jump, or yell ever again. Never shoot baskets ever again. Be offended when other people shoot baskets better than you. You can agree with the hatred. Or you can fight the hatred with even more hatred. I mean, you can hate the haters with even more hatred. And, and yet it's often to hard, hard to hate the haters because they're bigger than you, stronger than you, and seemingly less defective than you. But no matter what, you can always find somebody to hate. One of my earliest memories was of a day when I must have been about five years old. I was at my friend uh, Ray's house, and 
Ray and I went to school together, kindergarten, where I was learning to be insecure about jumping highest and running fastest. I'd gone to Ray's so that we could run and, and jump together, so that we could play together. And the neighbor boy that lived behind Ray, he wanted to play too. And he was crippled. Still remember the braces, the crutches. And they could not jump as high as me or run as fast as me. Well, I remember Ray said something mean and, and, and I said something mean and then we said more and we did more and then I, I remember this crippled boy lying in the dirt with his crutches and braces weeping. And I, I, I knew that it was something that my father would not do. And yet at the same time, I felt this kind of like new exhilaration. This exhilaration that I was better, uh, we were better at something than someone else. I mean, it was like Ray and I had become a team, unified by a common enemy, taking pleasure in the idea that the defects weren't in us, but, but in him. Exhilaration. And yet later that night, just being in the presence of my father, I never felt so defective or so ashamed. In the words of social anthropologists, what Ray and I did that afternoon was discover a scapegoat, or perhaps religion. Social anthropologists like Rene Girard and Gil Bailey have argued rather convincingly that this is how societies actually form, by identifying a, a scapegoat, a sacrificial victim on which all the defects of that society are then placed. And we all know this in intuitively. We all know this. That's why we enjoy going to Bronco games. I mean, 70,000 people are immediately unified by a common hatred of the Oakland Raiders. 70,000 chant together in, in unison. I mean, where else can you get 70,000 people to chant together in unison? Chant together in unison because they all agree beating the Oakland Raiders, humiliating the Oakland Raiders is the name of the game. I remember the years that the Broncos went to the Super Bowl. I was, I was driving in the car with my son Coleman, who was four at the time, and out of the blue, Coleman uh, just said, Dad? I went, yeah, buddy. Dad, um, are the Green Bay Packers evil? <laughs> I said, oh, no, buddy, they're not evil. They're not evil. It's just a game. It's just a game. Is it just a game? Or is it the way that this world operates? You know, many say that life itself is the product of violent competition. And so love itself is just a means, a means that a group of people agree on, a means for beating your enemies. Love itself, just a means. That is, love itself is a creation of hate. Well, maybe it's not just a game. Maybe it really is the way that this world is. Jesus said the world will hate you. But you know, as I got older, the world seemed to hate me less. In fact, I found a group in which I, I really fit. We call it church. That's what we called it. 
About 17 years ago, I was sitting on the lawn down at, at Denver Seminary. I mean, it was just a beautiful day sitting on the grass having a devotional, and, and I wrote this in my journal. I'm more respected than Jesus was. I'm more honored than he. People speak better of me, and I live in a far nicer house than he. I'm more popular than Jesus was when he hung on that cross for me. And that ought to concern me. Because a servant is not better than his master. And he said, if the world hated him, they'd hate me. Hate. I remember that I was really kind of confused by that. And yet all this week I had a pit in my stomach because I thought I think I have to talk about this and it, and it, and it just doesn't confuse me so much anymore. Well, in John 15, you know, we're preaching our way through John. Jesus has been talking about being at home, abiding in the Father's love. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, says Jesus, that my joy, sheer joy, may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. Who does Jesus lay his life down for in, in the Gospel of John? The world. That's what John says. Does Jesus transform the world into his friend? He's already taught that we're to love our enemies, but, but now he says no greater love than this love, love for a friend. You know, I can love enemies and feel kind of pompous about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm loving my enemies. But loving my friends, that's a privilege. Maybe the love of Jesus turns enemies into friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Did any of those guys do what Jesus commanded them? Not much, especially not that night. And yet one day they would. Maybe, maybe they weren't a, a, friend to, a very good friend to Jesus that night, but, but Jesus was a friend to them. He's called the friend of sinners. Maybe the love of Jesus turns enemies into friends. Next verse. No, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father I have made known to you, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you, so that you will love one another. They, they didn't choose Jesus to be their friend. Jesus chose them and turned them into friends. You know, our choice doesn't save us. Jesus saves us. We have been saved by grace through faith. And this faith, this choice is not of ourselves, lest none should boast. It's the gift of God. Jesus is the gift of God. He's grace. Why would anybody hate that? 
Verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Why does the world hate Jesus? I mean, you know, he, he, he said some pretty uh, strict, well, seemingly strict. I mean, he had some pretty high standards regarding ethical behavior. You know, even look on a woman with lust. What, what, but check this out. It, it really wasn't the prostitutes and the drunkards that hated him. Actually, they seem to have really admired him. Why did the world hate him? Remember Luke 4. Jesus goes to his hometown in Nazareth. And uh, he stands up in the synagogue and reads from Isaiah on the Sabbath, uh, announcing the year of Jubilee and basically claiming that he's the Messiah. And do you remember what happened next? Verse 22, they all spoke well of him. Until he points out that there were many widows in Israel, but that Elijah was sent to a widow in Sidon, which is not in Israel. And that there were many lepers in Israel. But Elisha was sent to heal Naaman, the Syrian. That's an Arab. Perhaps a scapegoat. And at that, all the synagogue was filled with wrath, and they tried to run Jesus off a cliff and kill him. Well, they hated Jesus because he turned to enemies into friends. And that reminds me of the second occasion on which I felt truly hated. It was six and a half years ago when I preached some sermons on the idea that God loves Gentiles just as much as Jews, for in fact, he turns them into Jews. I mean, grafted into this incredible tree, this family tree, family of faith. Well, this, this man of Jewish ancestry from a nearby church, he got so angry with me. He sent letters to all kinds of people in Denver and all over the country claiming all sorts of horrible stuff about me and that I was a Jew hater. I'd meet with him, and I'd, I'd try to tell him. I'd say, you're, you're hating me without cause. I want to take nothing away from the Jews. I only want to add me and Syrians like Naaman and Palestinians on the other side of that wall. I want to take nothing away but only add to the family of Abraham. You know, he was blessed in order to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. And honestly, he, he would get so angry, I feared for my life. Finally, I, I met him in a room where our prayer team took communion together and then covered the doorposts with the communion wine. And that day, he seemed like my brother. He was not my enemy, and I am not his. Next verse, Jesus says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You know, in, in John, the, the, the world doesn't really mean the earth. It means the sociology, the anthropology, the psychology of, of humanity, fallen humanity. Paul refers to it as the principalities and the powers. And he, and he writes, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the world rulers of this present darkness. You see, I do have an enemy. But no man is my enemy. Next verse. Remember the word that I said to you, says Jesus. A servant is not greater than his master. 
If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Hated on account of his name. What is it about his name? The just sound? Is, is that what it is? Well, no, I think it's this. His name means Yahweh. God is salvation. The name of his game is salvation. Verse 21. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. Literally in the Greek, Jesus says, if I had not come and spoken to them, if I had not come, they would not have sin. So then you've got to wonder, why did he come? So if he wouldn't have come, they would not have sin. You know, a rock doesn't have sin. Maybe the name of the game is not simply not having sin. The name of the game is salvation. So St. Paul wrote, God consigned all to disobedience. That's, that's sin. That he may have mercy on all. Rocks don't sin. But rocks are not made in the image of God who is mercy, who is hassad, steadfast, Relentless, endless, consuming, all-powerful love. Grace. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. You know, something only becomes forgivable once it is inexcusable. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have sinned and uh, have seen and hated both me and my father. What are the works that no one else did? Because you know those Old Testament dudes, they did some pretty freaky cool miracle kind of works, you know, feeding people, people getting healed. But Jesus, well, well, Jesus just washed the disciples' feet. In other words, the very first made himself the very last. And in the morning, he'll wash the entire world of its sin with his blood. The very first will become very last in order that the very last, like the chief of all sinners, will become first. Winners, losers, losers, winners, and that's the name of the game. Grace. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all of these things to you, that you to keep you from falling away, literally to keep you from being scandalized, scandalizo. They will put you out of the synagogues. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember. I told these things to you. They will put you out of the synagogues. 
not Capitol building, not abortion clinic, the synagogues, said Jesus. You you know what synagogue means? That's what we usually mean with the word church. Synagogue literally means assembly. In scripture, it's a religious assembly, and, and I was kicked out of the general assembly. God, my assembly. Three and a half years ago, I, I was literally kicked out of my synagogue, the evangelical Presbyterian church, and, and that's the third occasion on which I truly felt hated. First, when I scored points for the wrong team. Second, when I referred to Israel's enemies as God's friends. And third, when I suggested he just might turn all of us into friends. I won't go into details, and I'm sure hate was mixed with all sorts of other things. And maybe some hated me, because sometimes I can just be a jerk. And and I know hate is a strong word, but I don't know how else to describe it. And I do know that at the time I kept asking God, God, why? Why do they hate me? Over the years, really, really digging into scripture, I'd become convinced of two things that I'd always somewhat believed. Number one, God will not torture people endlessly. Some will languish in outer darkness and Hades and Sheol, which is often translated hell. And some, I think, will be reduced to ash by the eternal consuming fire. But but the idea that God tortures people endlessly is, is just unbiblical. And number two, Jesus really may make all things new. Just like he said, Jesus, whom Paul called the Savior of all men, who descended into hell and set captives free. Jesus, who said he will draw all people unto himself. And so I said to my synagogue, I I realize that there are nuances involving time and eternity, being and non-being, the new man and the old man, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But maybe, maybe God saves everybody. That's anybody. Maybe. And when I said that, some would just grow furious. And, and they'd say stuff like this. Well, if everybody gets saved, what's the point of a savior? What's the point of a cross? You see, that, that really bewildered me because I was a lifeguard in high school. And if at the end of the day I said, good news, I saved everybody in the pool today. Nobody said, well, then what's the point of even having a lifeguard? Or you should have let some drown so that others would be grateful. No, you should have let them perpetually drown continually so that others would be super duper grateful. Or you shouldn't save people unless they really, really want to be saved. Do you realize that nobody wants to be saved at first? No one seeks for God. No one is righteous. No, not one, says Scripture. We didn't choose him. He chose us. That's why he and not me is the Savior. 
It's our will, it's our wanter, our chooser that's crippled and defective. That's precisely why, exactly why we need a savior. And we need saving. The cross is how he saves us. The cross is not a test that we can pass and so save ourselves. The cross is a test that Jesus has passed and so saves us. God is salvation. That's the name of the game. Grace. But, but now, if, if you don't think that's the name of the game, you might find yourself a bit perturbed at Jesus at times. I mean, imagine playing basketball with Jesus. You're on his team. And you're pumped. I mean, because you're playing with Jesus, and nobody shoots baskets better. Nobody in all the universe shoots baskets better than, than Jesus, and, and you're on his team. It's a championship game. You're down by two. There's 10 seconds left, and you pass to Jesus. He plants. He looks. He sees someone sad on the other team, and he hands them the ball. And he says, good luck, friend. Or worse yet, he turns around, he dribbles down the court, and he scores for the other team. Then he throws his fist in the air and says, yes, I saved him. I mean, you might get mad at Jesus. Jesus, what the heck? Jesus, you sacrificed the game. I mean, it's not that you play poorly. It's like you're not even playing the game at all. The name of the game is winning. And he looks at you and he says, well, I'm sorry. I just don't play that game. You know, I think a lot of people think Christianity is all about better rules and better techniques for winning the game. And so love is a means. God is a means to beat your neighbor and win the game. And Jesus says, I'm sorry. I don't play that game. Or imagine this, imagine football. I can't imagine basketball stuff with much success, but football helps me feel it, you know. Uh, imagine that the Oakland Raiders are in town. They're down by two. They have the ball on the Denver 15-yard line with three seconds on the clock. Sebastian Janikowski, that stupid Pollock, he kicks a chip shot. He's their kicker, you know. He kicks a chip shot and it sails just wide right of the uprights. And the stands, they just erupt and enjoy and celebration. And all at once you notice that the referee down, the, the, the head referee down on the side, he's throwing a flag on onto the field. And the players are lining up uh, again. And everybody calms down and then the ref, he comes on the, the microphone thing to explain the play. We will kick again. Because, well, um, I forgive Sebastian. Oh my gosh, talk about mob rioting. Hatred. It would just break out in the stands. And even if the ref ran out on the field and said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, um, um, I, I, I've, I forgive you all. I love you all. None of you are losers. Let's have a party. Well, there wouldn't be a party. There would be a crucifixion. <laughs> Referee crucified at midfield. And you say, well, that's just a game. Yeah. 
But what if you thought the game was life? And the ref was the judge. See, if you think winning is the name of the game, that is scoring points and beating your neighbor, if you think winning is the name of the game, you'll end up hating grace. And God is grace. But if you think that grace is the name of the game, the, well, the more that are saved, the better the news. The good news, euangelion, even evangelical, good news. Perhaps, maybe, 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 maybe some hated me because they thought I was on their team and, and a good player, but, but, but now I was scoring points for the wrong team. But what's the name of the game? Beating my neighbor or serving my neighbor? Damning my enemies or turning them into friends? Keeping score or forgiving all? Fighting to be first or, or choosing to be last? Is it using God in order to save myself? Let me, let me say that again because I think this is what most of the time we think it is. Is it using God in order to save myself or being used by God in order to save others? Blessed to be a blessing. Is it winning or is it love? And now that, that may be a bit confusing if you think about it because last week I, I preached a sermon titled Love Wins. And love does win. But check this out. Love wins by choosing to lose for another. This is what's so confusing for us. Love wins through sacrifice. God is love. Jesus is love in flesh. And on the cross, he is sacrificed. God sacrificed himself, and in this is love. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And the Lord has laid on him, like the priest would place his hand on the scapegoat, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's the sacrifice, he's the scapegoat. On the cross, he bore all our sins and the sins of all, all our defects. As if to say, you need someone to hate? Hate me. You need somebody to lose? I'll be last, so you can be first. Peter and Ray, you boys need a scapegoat? Look at me, I'm your scapegoat. Crippled for you, broken for you, cursed for you. Why? Because I love you. Now, look at me, boys. You don't need any more damn scapegoats. You don't need anybody else to lose in order to feel like you win. I lose, so you can win. I am love, poured out for you. I forgive you, I create you. This is how I win. 
Scripture says that on that cross, God disarmed the principalities and powers, triumphing over them in, in Christ. And John writes that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And, and what is the work of the devil? Well, it's, it's a lie that can be traced back to a garden where the snake uh, said to the woman, who, who is us? You, you know, um, God really cannot be trusted. You know, I think you really need to make yourself, create yourself. So why don't you go over there and take some good? You know, there's, there's only a, a, a limited amount of, of good. Compete. Go to war. Well, that's the name of the game because you are salvation. That's the lie. And this is the truth. God is salvation. In a word, Jesus. And that reminds me of the fourth occasion on which I've truly been hated. I can't, I can't go into details here, and believe me, the details are, are really even kind of hard to, to believe, but I have had numerous encounters with the devil, with Satan, and he is no man, not a somebody, a nobody, and yet he really is my enemy, and he really, really does hate me. But I know this, communion wine burns him like fire. The blood of Jesus burns him like fire. Grace burns him like fire because it is fire. Eternal, consuming fire. It's the truth that destroys the lie. I am not my own salvation. God is salvation. God is salvation. There's an endless supply. So I don't need to steal the good. I, I don't need to compete with anybody. I don't even need a, to go looking for a scapegoat. And, and, and although I'm hated by son, I'm no longer a prisoner to hate. I, I cannot beat hate with more hatred. I can only beat hate with love. And God is love. And God is salvation. And God is my father. But in 1966, when I was five, I had begun to journey out into the world. And I had begun to believe the lie. In 1966, I looked down on that crippled boy and I thought to myself, I won. But later that night, in the presence of my father, he didn't have to say anything. He didn't, I don't even know if he, he knew about it. I, I just knew that I had, had lost. I, I knew that I was crippled, that my heart was the cripple. But saving me was the name of the game for my dad. And saving you is the name of the game for your dad. Your father is salvation. In a word, Jesus. And, and once, you've, once you've seen him, really seen him and his salvation, oh, I think you'll just want salvation for everybody. 
Salvation is not a matter of running faster than anyone. Salvation is a matter of running with someone. You've probably seen this video. Like 15 million people have. It's Dick Hoyt swimming, biking, running the Ironman triathlon with his disabled son, Rick. Let's be clear. I'm Rick. My father is salvation. And this is how love wins. And I know my can love everyone. For on the night that I delivered him up, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take, eat, remember this. Do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. Jesus said, the one forgiven much loves much. You've been forgiven much, so love much. And when the world hates you, don't fight back with hatred. Surrender to love. In Jesus' name, amen. Scripture says that we have come to the end of the ages in Christ Jesus. I think what that means is that the Father has pushed your heart, your spirit across that finish line, and, and you're beginning to see it, you're beginning to believe it, and soon you will have new arms and new legs, and you will run faster and jump higher and sing louder than you ever thought possible before, but even now you have a new heart. And so you're standing on the other side of the finish line, and if Jesus is right, there are people that hate you. This is what maybe I would hope you'd take a moment to do, maybe later tonight or in the morning. Just go to a quiet place, sit there with the Lord, and, and picture them in that wheelchair. Turn to your father and say, Father, go get them. And if you, you want to use me, 
I'm your arms. I'm your legs. Your church. In Jesus' name, may you believe the gospel and live the gospel. Amen.